Good morning. I am uh, very excited to introduce someone to you. Uh, I am so thankful that God has allowed my family and I to know Brian Murphy, uh, his family, and the church that he has planted and represents today. Uh, I've learned so much uh, sitting at his feet the last few years that we were in Bakersfield, um, and it has been a joy to see how he cares for his family and the church that the Lord has um, established called Living Grace down in Bakersfield. I first learned of God's heart for the nations um, while attending Living Grace and going down to Mexico uh, each summer with them. I've observed Brian and the elders make courageous and difficult decisions over the years. Uh, I've observed the care for pastors from around the country. And we got to talk about this this morning. They do a faithful pastors weekend. And I personally have been cared for and challenged uh, by Brian and the leadership at Living Grace. It's a great joy that I have the privilege to introduce uh, Brian to you this morning. And he's here with Diane, his wife. So Brian, would you come? Well, good morning. I would invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 28. It is so good to be here, and uh, it's great to see Mike and Linda and their large family. And um, it's, I'm so glad that they're still sitting in the same spot that they were at Living Grace, because if they had moved, my equilibrium would be all off. So I'm back. The Owens are right there, taking up the whole row. That's good. So... We were hoping for some reciprocity when the Owens moved up here. You know, we sent you one of our best families, and we were hoping that you would be good Christians and uh, send us a good family back. But um, driving up here today, seeing the snow on the mountains and not seeing air that you can't breathe, you know, can't breathe, um, I know why you're staying here. So we have mountains around Bakersfield, I think. We just can't see them. So... um, Bless you for staying here in the promised land. So it's awesome. So it, um, I do bring you greetings from the saints in Bakersfield and our elders. And um, it is, I don't take this lightly, it is a great privilege to stand at this pulpit. Um, the word of God is held in high esteem in this church and is preached faithfully from this pulpit and uh, for many, many years. And I know that, that Nathan is continuing that, and I have just so much respect for Nathan and love for him and love for your elders, and um, I pray that we will continue to hold our God in high esteem and Jesus in high esteem and the Word in high esteem uh, this morning as well. So would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, thank you for your Word. We thank you that it speaks to our soul. And uh, because it is truth, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see your character, that you are a missionary God, and that what flows out of your character is our desire to be missionaries, if you will. Our desire to have a heart for the people here in Tehachapi and for the nations. All of that flows out of who you are. So God, I pray that your spirit would now speak through your preacher, through your word, to your people, our 
hearts would be open to hear from you. And I pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I know what happens in the news in Bakersfield is if they want to ask the public a question, they usually go to Costco. And um, they stand outside of Costco with a microphone and they ask, you know, people various things. What do you think about this political topic or this thing? And they get answers. I wonder if we were to go to Costco here in Tehachapi and, uh, or Bakersfield and ask, you know, what was the mission of Jesus? What do you think people would say? What was the mission of Jesus average person in Tehachapi. I can imagine that a lot of them would say, well, Jesus came to to love people. That'd be right. He came to set a good example for us. He came to heal people and do right. And he came to, you know, do some good things and, you know, have some good teaching. And somewhere, some smart person would say something like, you know, well, Jesus came to live a perfect life and die on the cross to pay for our sins and rise from the grave, gaining victory over sin and death and, you know, ascend up to heaven awaiting his glorious return. And we'd be like, they probably go to Country Oaks, you know. And, um, but um, that would be right, right? I mean, that, that absolutely is a mission of Jesus to come and live the perfect life that we couldn't ever live on our own, though we're supposed to, we can't. To die on a cross and pay the penalty for our sin. To rise from the grave bodily on the third day, getting victory over sin and death. And then to ascend into heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father, and we await his glorious return. That certainly is a part of the mission of Jesus, isn't it? Absolutely. But brothers and sisters, if we just leave it at that and think that was the only mission of Jesus, like when he ascended, mission accomplished, mission's over, we will be losing out on a significant part of the mission of Jesus. Jesus' mission was that, for sure, and the mission of Jesus was to develop a group of followers who understood the gospel and could communicate the gospel, and who would then go in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other parts of the world and plant churches. Who would then plant churches? Who would then plant churches? Isn't that why we're here today in Tehachapi? Because those 12 disciples, those 120, those 500, if you will, early followers of Jesus, got that message. It's been said before that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. That's never going to happen because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But you can see from a human perspective why that is true. We're one generation from extinction in the sense that if you and I don't communicate the gospel and then we all die, we're done. You came to know Christ because somebody told you. A youth pastor, your mom and dad, a pastor, a college, you know, layperson, a friend, heard it on the radio. Somehow somebody told you. And you do understand, don't you, as has been said 
earlier, even in this service, that it is our responsibility to communicate the gospel. And I want you to see this morning that that is the heart of our God. That it's not separated from who God is. Like, God is different, and then he just asks us to go do this. That our God is a missionary God. His heart is for people to come to know him. His heart is for the Jewish people to come to know him, and I want you to see clearly that God's heart is for the Gentile nation, for the nations to come see him. And that did not start in the New Testament. That began in the Old Testament. You remember that even with the call of Abram. Remember that was his first name, Abram. And the the name Abram means what? The father of a nation. Abram, I'm going to call you to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you an heir, part of the Abrahamic covenant. But you remember a few chapters later, God changed Abraham's name, Abram's name, to Abraham. What does Abraham mean? The father of many nations. From the very beginning chapters in the book of Genesis, God is declaring to Abram, to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, if you will. And we are now, Paul says, all sons of Abraham because we have been grafted in. That God's heart is not just for the people of Israel, but for the nations. God declares that his name would be made great in all the earth in the Old Testament. God promised that his fame would spread through all the peoples of the world. And certainly, as we see Jesus coming to this earth, God in the flesh, he carries on that same mandate, that same heart. Wouldn't we not expect it to see anything different? Jesus is God in the flesh. If God in the Old Testament had a heart for the nations, would not God in the New Testament have a heart for the nations? Absolutely. Do you remember the very first time in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus gathers his 12 disciples, the very first time we see the names of those 12 disciples written down in Matthew 10. And the very first thing that Jesus does with them is not have a Bible study. We don't just sing Kumbaya. He sends them out. And we read about it in Matthew 10, verse 5 and 6. He says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Not surprising that the Jewish Messiah would first and foremost go to the Jewish people. That would be his first priority. The first mission, if you will, is to go to the Jewish people. So he sends twelve to the twelve. It wasn't a mistake that Jesus chose twelve. It was no mistake that he sends them to the twelve tribes of Israel. But even in the first sending, we'll see just a few verses later that there is a hint that that's not all we're going to do. This isn't the end of the mission, just the Jewish people. Look down further, I think it's on the screens in verse 16 and 18. Jesus said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. 
Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the who? Gentiles. Before we get too far, don't you appreciate that there's no bait and switch with Jesus? Jesus doesn't promise these men, nor any of us, that you come follow me and life is going to be great. There's no health and wealth, wealth no, no prosperity gospel ever in the New Testament. Certainly not with the words of Jesus or Paul or Peter or anybody else. There's no your best life now, come follow Jesus. In fact, it's the opposite. You come follow me, life's going to get hard. He tells them, very first day on the job, you're going to go get flogged. And, and arrested and put in prison. And it's going to be really hard. And these guys have got to be going, I signed up for what? No shell game. No bait and switch. No, hey, come to me. It's all going to be great. Oh, oh. And then in the small print, oh, by the way, it might be some tough times. I mean, you can be a consumer and just sit in the church and soak in all the good stuff, but to be a true follower of Jesus is going to mean heartache. It's going to mean sacrifice. It's going to mean giving up some stuff. And Jesus from day one tells his disciples that. But as you know your Bible, that's not the only sending, was it? In Luke chapter 10, there's another sending. This time with how many people? 72. Why, have you ever wondered why 72? Why not 62 or 52 or 84? Why 72? If you go back in Genesis again, there's a genealogy of the descendants of Noah. How many people are in the genealogy of the descendants of Noah? 72. Rabbinical tradition held that the descendants of Noah, 72, represented the nations of the world. Those 72 descendants of Jonah and all of his family represented the nations of the world. Do you see what Jesus is doing? In the first sending, he sends 12 to the 12. This is going to be a priority for us. We're definitely going. We expect the Jewish Messiah to go to the people of Israel. But in the second sending, he's sending those same people and other disciples to the 72. Now, for us Americans, we go, I don't know what 72 means, but now you know. And believe me, they knew. They knew exactly what 72 meant. And they knew exactly what Jesus was communicating when he said, I'm sending 72 of you out. Our mission, my followers, are not just to the people of Israel, but going to be to the nations. This is what you're signing up for. And why wouldn't it be? Because this is God's heart. This is who God has always been. This is who he was in the Old Testament. This is who he is in the New Testament. Wouldn't we then expect that when Jesus, the Messiah, comes, 
certainly to the people of Israel. He's also coming to the Gentiles. There's so many examples that we could point to, dozens of examples of Jesus highlighting and, and pointing out coming to the Gentiles that were around him. But I'll point out just a few. Remember in Luke 17, the healing of the ten lepers. There was one leper that came back to say thank you. It was who? A Samaritan. A Gentile. And Jesus says that was the one person. He makes him the hero of the story. In Luke chapter 4, we have the famous story of the woman at the well. You know what women were thought of in that day and still are in the Middle East? She was not only a woman, she was a Samaritan. The Jews called dogs, half-breeds. Another strike against her. And not only that, but she was an adulterous woman. Jesus said, you have a number of husbands. In fact, the man you're living with now is not even your husband. This lady's like, who are you? You must be a prophet, for you, you know all this stuff about me. She had no idea who she was talking to. But isn't it interesting that recorded for us the very first person that Jesus confesses to, that he is in fact the Messiah, is this Gentile, Samaritan, adulterous woman. Doesn't go to the high priest and Jerusalem at the temple doesn't go to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He goes to this person communicating to his disciples and who were shocked to come back and see him sitting there talking to this lady and communicating to us that there is no one, no one, no Gentile, no woman, no adulterer, no sinner, no one is outside of the scope of my grace and my mercy. No one. They must all come to me by faith, but no one is outside of this. Jesus is communicating this to his disciples so that they get it. He's got three and a half years to bore into their minds that this is the plan. Remember in Matthew 8, the Roman centurion. Roman centurion, who is no doubt a Gentile, got the short straw and got stationed in Palestine. Not exactly the best spot on the earth to get stationed. He's just stationed there and he, he's a centurion. He's in charge of a bunch of people. He's a powerful man. His servant is dying and he comes to Jesus and he says, I know that you are a person of authority. Interesting. And he tells him, you just speak the words and my servant will be healed. Not only does he understand Jesus has authority, but he's been around Palestine to understand the cultural moray of what's going on here. He understands that a Jewish person cannot enter a, Jew, a Gentile house. Because if a Jewish person comes into a Gentile house, they become what? Unclean. Especially a Jewish rabbi. So he knows, hey, I know how this works with y'all. So I'm not asking you to come into my house and become ceremonially unclean. So you just stay outside and just speak the words. You have enough authority, my son will be healed. And of course, what happens? He becomes healed. And Jesus responds to this Gentile, Roman centurion, a hated man amongst the Jews, 
and says this in Matthew 8, verse 10 and 12. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, no doubt other Jews, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. That's amazing. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not talking about east and west Jerusalem. He's talking about east and west in the four corners of the earth. I'm telling you, just like this this Roman centurion, nobody on the face of the earth would ever guess would have such faith in me. He has. That people like him, that you would never expect, that you don't even know, are going to receive grace and mercy from, from us, me and my father. They're going to come to me by faith. And where are they going to do? They will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'll be in heaven. And sadly, he says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because they think they're going to get in by their last name. They think they're going to get in by their race. Not by faith. Not through repentance. Not by seeing Jesus as their Messiah and their Savior and their Lord. So many more we could get to, but let's go to the last week of Jesus' life, beginning with Palm Sunday. You know that day in Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and the people lay down their palms and declare Hosanna to the king? Hosanna in the highest, the king of Israel. How right they were. Have you ever wondered why Jesus came in on a donkey? Why a donkey? Why not a camel? Why not a horse? Why not? I mean, was he just tired? Like, tired of walking? The guy walked all over the place. Why now? Why now does he have to come in on a donkey? He had to. To fulfill the prophecy in the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah in chapters 9, verse 9 and 10. Notice it with me. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, says Zechariah. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. I was right, right? Righteousness and having salvation is he. Oh, how true that is. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus has to come in on a donkey. Zechariah prophesied that when he comes as the king and he comes into Jerusalem, he's going to be on a donkey. Mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. But notice what God says to Zechariah. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he, who? The Messiah, this Jesus, riding on the donkey. What is he going to do? He shall speak peace. To where? The nations. Not just to Israel. And the very scene that is so embedded in our minds on that Palm Sunday, Jesus is riding on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah that he would not just be the king of Israel, but the king of the world, the king of the nations. That the nations would bow before him. The nations would see him as their king. Remember, just a few days later when Jesus is cleansing the temple. 
Who does Jesus respond when he turns over the tables? Probably they're selling animals, defrauding people, extorting people, really, in what is called the court of the Gentiles. So the outer court of the Gentiles, you have the court of the men, the court of the women, court of the women, court of the men, the holy place, and then of course the very inner sanctum, the holy of holies. Jesus is probably in the court of the Gentiles where they're selling all this stuff. And he turns over the tables. Importantly, what does Jesus say? He's not just angry. What does he say? He says in Mark eleven seventeen. My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations. Of course, one of the last things that Jesus would say, which we'll look at more in just a moment, is in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We start to see a pattern here, beloved. This is who God is. This isn't extra credit. This isn't like an add-on. This is the heart of God. God has a heart for the nations. God has a heart that his name would be made great in all the world. Is it John Piper who so famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. People are not worshiping the right, true, and living God, and so missions has to exist to go tell them. They're worshiping something, but they're not worshiping the true and living God, the only true and living God. It's true in the Old Testament. That's God's heart. It's the heart of Jesus when he comes, God in the flesh. And he's instilling in his disciples, you've got to get this, because I'm going to leave. And when I leave, you can't just crumble. You can't just keep this good news to yourself. What would have happened, beloved, if those 12 or 120 or 500 followers had just had zip lips and said nothing? You and I would not be sitting here today. There would be no such thing as Christianity. It would have been a one and done. But they did get it. Why did they get it? And why did they give their lives for it? Because they saw it in the Bible. They saw it in the Old Testament. They saw it in the life of Jesus. And Jesus is establishing in them not a a localized Mecca. There is no Mecca for Christianity, is there? I mean, Jerusalem is the best we got, but go there and you'll still find out, nah, that's not it. I mean, it's special, but it. God is just as present here in wonderful Tehachapi as he is in Papua New Guinea and Indonesia and our brothers and sisters. God bless them in Ukraine. This is a global movement, if you will, not a localized movement. And Jesus is communicating this to his disciples. And I pray to us throughout his public ministry. And I hope that we understand that even more today. And certainly I ask, are you you part of that plan? 
we understand that this is not just for Nathan and the elders. This is not just for for the, the special people in the church. This is not just, as I said, extra credit. This is for all of us. The command that we'll see, the Great Commission, is not just for the anointed ones. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is for you. I'm not saying everybody has to go to the far reaches of the world. Some people will. You have people that are going. John and Lisa will hopefully soon. God bless them. I love them. When they were at Radius, and I know you have other people who are getting ready to go. Love it. My own son and daughter-in-law and our three grandkids are getting ready to go in August to Papua New Guinea. Believe me, it was way easier sending everybody else's kids. Come on, Mom and Dad, suck it up for the gospel. Come on, you got this. Come on, Grandma and Grandpa, let's do this. You know one of the number one reasons people don't go to the mission field? Your mom and dad, your grandparents. Never understood that until my own son said, Hey, Dad, I think we want to go to Papua New Guinea. Reach an unreached people group. I'm on the board of Radius. I like, I teach this stuff. I've woven this into the DNA of our church. And that was a little bit of a, uh-oh. Like you're going to leave the grandkids, right? Like, we raised four. We got this. Okay, you go. Leave the grandkids. We'll take care of them, and we'll see you in 20 years. And They're not going for it. It's good for my wife and I to have to sit on this end and go, okay, yes, this is worth it for the cause of the gospel. Because there are people who've never heard the name of Jesus. I asked you earlier, you know, you hold the microphone in front of people here in Tehachapi or Vegasville, you know, and said, you know, what do you think the mission of Jesus is? Do you, you do realize that there are billions and billions, not thousands, not tens of thousands, not millions, but billions and billions of people. If you stuck a microphone in front of their face and said, what is the mission of Jesus? They would say, who's Jesus? I've never heard that name in my life. I have no clue who that is. Billions today. If we believe our Bible that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, they're in big trouble. Somebody better go tell them about who Jesus is. It was John Piper who so rightly said, you're either a goer, a sender, or you're disobedient. We either go, we help people go, prayer or financially or helping them somehow. We either go, we send, or we're disobedient. I think he's right. Jesus' commission, in all the Gospels, there is a commission, all of them. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, go into the, all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Luke, Jesus on the road to Emmaus said, this it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to where? 
all the nations. Jesus said in John 20, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? To the Jews and the, as we've just seen, Gentiles. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you to Jews and Gentiles. Very clear in Acts 1.8. Some of the very last words of Jesus, right before he ascended into heaven. He wanted these, these words ringing in the ears of his followers. And he wants them ringing in our ears. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses in the Bible is very rarely, if ever, um, um, eyewitnesses. Not like we're supposed to go look at everybody. Witnesses is verbal witness. You will be my verbal witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where does it end? The end of the earth. To the end of the earth. All of these might be really culminated in what we rightly refer to as the Great Commission. The Great Commission in your Bible in Matthew 28 really encapsulates all of these and puts them together. Let's read it for probably, for many of you, the thousandth time. I pray that you will see this afresh today. Hear these words of Jesus before he left. Hear these words of our God before he left this earth. Our missionary God listened to his words to his followers. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see anything different in this commission that's not in the other ones? What's unique about this commission that's nowhere said in the others? We still have proclaiming, we still have telling, we still have witnessing, and, and all those are implied. But here we have the end goal. And the end goal is what? We make disciples. We make disciples. The going and the witnessing and the proclaiming and the telling is so that you will make disciples. In other words, how do you make disciples? You're going to gather those disciples and you're going to plant a church. And then that church is going to go spread the gospel and proclaim, and they're going to go make disciples and plant another church. And then they're going to go plant another church, and they're going to go plant another church. Again, that's why we're here today. Because they got that message. And somewhere, in whatever year, somebody came to Dehatchby with the gospel, and somewhere, Country Oaks Baptist Church was formed. And you have an amazing church who has a heart for the nations, has a desire to send out John and Liesel and others, I'm sure, to go somewhere where Jesus' name has never been proclaimed so that for the very first time in human history, they would hear the gospel. That is not easy, and it takes a long time. Anybody tells you I planted a church in three months, they, they're lying. It takes, takes that long. It takes years just to learn the language at an adult level, so you can even communicate the gospel clearly. G 
Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. So in my last few remaining minutes, I quickly want to look at just the four alls, if you will, the four alls of the Great Commission. Notice, first and foremost, all authority is entrusted to Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's one thing to make a claim, it's another thing to back it up. Jesus does have all authority, doesn't he? All, not most authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We have time, you could look at Revelation 5 and see this amazing scene around the throne where John sees a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who's Jesus. But then he turns around and he sees Jesus no longer has a lion, but has a lamb. And not only as a lamb, but has a slain lamb. What does a slain lamb look like? It must be minimally a bloody lamb. What a perfect picture of who Jesus is, a lion and a lamb. Perfect power and perfect sacrifice. All authority. And what are the people there doing? They are bowing down before Jesus was able to take the scroll, probably the, 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 the deed to the earth. All authority has been given to him. Do you see how important this would be for us? That you and I, we are a bunch of nobodies. We're a bunch of chuckleheads on this earth. That's fine. Well, we don't go in our authority. We go in the authority of Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We go in his authority. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul reminds us, you are ambassadors of Christ. We represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's important for us to realize all authority has been given. Secondly, all peoples are to be discipled. All peoples. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations. You've probably heard it said, and you know this, that there is one command, one command, one imperative verb in the Great Commission. What is the one command in the Great Commission? It is make disciples. Make disciples. I don't want you to just go and tell people. I want you to make disciples. I want you to stay there, John and Liesel. I want you to stay there until you they come to Christ, and then I want you to disciple them, and I want you to plant a church there. And when that church is healthy and self-sustaining, and you've got elders, and they know the Word of God, and they have a Bible translated in their own language, then you can come home. And that does not happen in three months. That doesn't happen in five years. We're not expecting to see our son and daughter and our three grandkids. I mean, when I see them on when they come home, but that's, this give me a twenty-year job to do this. The one command is to make disciples. Isn't it interesting? And you've probably heard this that there are three participles in the Great Commission. And easy for us in English to find out what a participle is, because almost always it ends in ing. You see ing words in the Great Commission: baptizing, 
teaching. Uh-oh, where's the third one? The word go is a participle. But it's not translated going. The other ones are, why isn't go translated going? Maybe some of you have even heard it preached, because how many of you teach somebody enough Greek and teach them enough to get them in trouble? Maybe you've heard it said that, well, it, it's, it's a participle, so it should say going, or as you're going, while you're going. No. It's not translated that way. Jesus didn't say it that way. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, didn't write it that way. He wrote it that way for a reason. Here's why. In the Greek, when a participle precedes an imperative verb, when it comes before the command, when it comes before the imperative verb, the participle takes on the force of the imperative. So it's never translated going. Because it precedes the imperative, it takes on the force of the imperative, it becomes itself a command. Go. It's not as you're going, think about going. It's a command. Go. And make disciples. And as you make the disciples, you're baptizing them, and you're teaching them, and you're doing all of these other things. Beloved, I, I cannot encourage you enough. Again, this is the very heart of God. I want you to go make a disciple. Follower of Jesus. That's what a disciple means. That's who you are. You're a disciple. Somebody proclaimed to you the good news and you trusted Christ as your Savior, I pray, and then you automatically become a follower of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me. And our responsibility, beloved, is to go. At least go across the street. At least go to our co-workers. At least go to our family. At least go to our kids. At least go to our friends. You might not have to go to Papua New Guinea, but go somewhere. For the love of God, be involved in sending the people who are going to the nations. Please. Where are we to find these potential followers? All the nations in Greek. Ponte, te, ethne. Ethne. Does that word sound familiar? Ethnic. Where we get our our English word ethnic. I want you to go to all the ethnicities of the world. It's not all the countries of the world. Jesus isn't talking about borders on a map. He's talking about, I want you to go to all the unique people groups of the world. Piper said it this way. I want you to go to all the ethno-linguistic peoples. All the ethno-linguistic peoples. Peoples with their own language, own culture, own worldview, own religion that are totally unique from others. Give you an example since we're talking about Papua New Guinea. Has there been any tribe reached in Papua New Guinea? Yep, long time ago. So can we just check that one off now? Like Papua New Guinea's reached. There's spread the gospel. There's a church in Papua New Guinea. Check now. Let's move on. Brothers and sisters, do you know how many 
ethno-linguistic people groups there still are in Papua New Guinea, this little island, 700 still left. About 80 have been reached, so there were 780. 80 tribes have been reached, and there's 70 still left. So what does that mean? Just for Papua New Guinea, we need 700 more teams to go to finish the Great Commission, if you will. Who's going to go? Who's going to send? That's one little country. You think about Nigeria. You think about India, for crying out loud. All authority, all the nations see all that Jesus commanded is to be taught. Jesus says, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. That happens in the context of the local church, does it not? Our responsibility as we make disciples is to teach them everything that Jesus taught. Doesn't that insinuate that you have to know everything that Jesus taught if you're going to disciple someone else? That means you and I have to know this book. You and I have to know the gospel. If I stuck a microphone in front of your face today, I would never do it. I would never embarrass you. Could you clearly communicate the gospel right now? Could you, could you c- communicate the gospel in such a way that somebody, if they heard your words in two minutes, could understand what they need to know and be saved? And then, are you able to know more than that and able to really make a disciple? Beloved, that demands that you and I take this book seriously and that we know it. Jesus said, I want you to not just make a disciple, I want you to disciple them. I want you to teach them all that I've commanded. And part of all that I've commanded is that you're to keep going. It doesn't end with you. You're to pass the baton on to somebody else. Finally and lastly, the last all, all the days Jesus is to be with us. Jesus said, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Isn't that encouraging? How encouraging is that for our brothers and sisters who are in a tribe right now, in the middle of a desert right now, and are sitting comfortably in this beautiful auditorium with the snow-capped mountains out there and air you can breathe. They're lonely. How comforting is it to know that Jesus promised them I will be with you even to the end of the age. How comforting is it, honestly, for you and me, too? To walk across the street and share the gospel with our neighbor or a family member, some of the hardest people in the world to share the gospel with. We need to know that. And Jesus promises us that. This is not general Jesus, y'all. Go get him. This is Jesus who says, I'm in the trenches with you. I am with you until the end of the age. Until I return again, I am with you. Beloved, we have the privilege of partnering with our God for the proclamation of the gospel. Here on the streets of Tehachapi and to the nations.
That's who our God is. And I pray that we reflect the very character of our God as we spread the gospel to the streets of Tehachapi and to the nations as well. Can I close by reading a letter? Over years, tribes all over the world write to a missions organization called New Tribes, now called Ethnos 360. They write letters asking for missionaries to come. My son and daughter, when they go to Papua New Guinea, they're going to, at the top of the list, are the tribes in PNG that have been writing letters, some of them for 18 years. They write letters that nobody's gone yet. Maybe Pat and Kai will be one that will go to one of these tribes. Maybe someone from your church, maybe one of you sitting here, will be one of the ones that will go to one of these tribes. I don't have time to read them all, but there's, there's like seven letters of people. Let me read one. This is from the Wiku people. Yes, I'm writing to the boss men that are at NTM. I'm checking again about the letters I have written. What's going on with your thinking? I, I think you're getting tired of the letters we have written. You must be thinking like this, that the road to hear the talk of God is just for you ones. That's why you haven't sent anyone to us here in Wiku. Please, we are hungry for the true talk. We're not saying this with two mouths. Our thinking really desires to know this talk. So I ask you with a big heart, please, you boss men of NTM, New Tribes Missions, tell us what you think of sending someone to us. Please write and tell us, you boss men. We are waiting and waiting. I am Jaspe of Wiku Village, and that is all my talk. Another letter, and another letter, and another letter, and another letter. I'm not intruding. These people are begging us to come. Who will go? And who will be the church that will raise up those missionaries to send them? Would we be faithful followers of Jesus? Proclaim the gospel here in the streets of Tehachapi and to the nations for his glory alone. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, as our God, have a heart for the nations. And Lord, would we also have a heart for the nations? The people here that we live amongst in Tehachapi and certainly people we maybe never even heard about. Certainly the people have never heard about you. Would Country Oaks Baptist Church be a church that has a heart for the souls of people here and around the world? Because that is your heart. Pray your blessing on Nathan and the elders in this amazing congregation for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name.